You want to study for this? I have two already. I'm good. Awesome. So you said for what you want to do, this is the route you have to take. And what are your goals as far as like, how do you plan to change the face of of therapy or work within minority communities? Or how are you already doing it? So I'm already doing it by being that person. So what I mean by that is I'm always that person in the classroom, that person in the conference room discussing our cases for the day or for the week who's always bringing up multiculturalism. Mm, yeah. um, even though in counseling psychology, that is one of our main strands that right. we stand on, I kind of feel that most of my colleagues utilize it as an afterthought. Mm-hmm. Like, let's put the plan together, and then they're like, oh, this person is whatever they are. Yeah. Mm. But I don't think that's being used in the actual treatment plan of this individual. Mm. And I think for certain populations, that should actually be at the forefront because right. how they perceive things and how they've experienced life mm-hmm. completely differs from that of another person. And so we have to kind of look at that first, in my opinion, for sure, before we kind of decide what could they even benefit from. Right. right. What would they even identify with? Right. So um, I am that person. And I see that's a big need, especially within the African diaspora. I feel like they tend to overgeneralize white mm-hmm. people as a race. Mm-hmm. Like, well, they're black, so they are this. Yeah. But while there are similarities, there are some core differences, too, within different ethnicities and mm-hmm. cultures. Right. right. So you have, like, Africans who just came to the United States. We have mm-hmm. people who've been here for several generations. Right. We have Afro-Latinos and Latinas. Mm-hmm. You know, we have people who've lived in Europe and they came over. And right. so it's a completely different experience as a black person. Right. And sometimes if we overgeneralize them, we're going to be missing some key things that we need to treat them effectively. Yeah. So that's what I mean by I am that person. <laughs> I'm like, hey, you know, this person is, for example, um, I think we once had a client who was a refugee from Sudan. Mm-hmm. And so there were some major multicultural competencies mm-hmm. lacking between the therapist and the client. And I mm-hmm. kind of brought that to your attention. I'm like, I'm kind of hearing some things, but it sounds like we're just not on the same page culturally. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of seeing them or viewing them through Western eyes. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're presenting as this. Mm-hmm. For example, like eye contact. Not all cultures are comfortable right. with right. eye contact. Right. And I recall her saying often, well, she doesn't look me in my eye. She doesn't look me in my eye. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, for her, that's a sign of respect. Yes. Yeah. Because that could be aggressive to look a person in the eye. And she's like, respecting me, but she's going to look down. But right. that for her, the therapist, that was a problem. Mm-hmm. And then even talking about like uh, physical abuse from parents, um, there's different ways to discipline your children mm-hmm. and cultures kind of see it differently. And so before we kind of go into a right and wrong conversation, right. I think we have to be just cognizant of different cultures have different experiences with raising their children or different practices, mm-hmm. right? And so when I brought this to their attention, I was like, you know, even the blending of the families is different across cultural lines mm-hmm. because she wanted to work more with the stepmother. Mm-hmm. And I was like, in this culture, the stepmother isn't really involved right. with the child because right. that's not her mm-hmm. biological child. Mm-hmm. So those are certain things that we need to know. And so just kind of being that person, like reminding them that like people are different and right. we have to be aware of that. We can't just consider multiculturalism as an afterthought. Right. Right. It kind of has to be at the forefront. So, I'm that person, clinically. <laughs> and I know people get tired of me. They're like, oh, here she goes. Yes, here she goes. Right. Well, well you must get tired of it, though, too. Yeah, having to be that person. Um, sometimes. Yeah. I don't want to be the representative. Right. Because right. I don't know everything. Right. Um, but I just feel like, even if I just put that thought in the air, mm-hmm. I feel like it's helpful. And yeah. if I don't do it, who's going to do it? And I'm going to sit and feel really conflicted. Right, right, right. So um, I don't mind, but ultimately my professional goal of why I wanted to get the PhD was so I could be an independent practitioner mm-hmm. and a researcher. Mm-hmm. So um, 
it's not enough for me to just talk about these things because I'm only one person right. in one room. Right. And I think we need to have more research that focuses on these cultural competencies for therapists mm-hmm. and disseminate that forward. Right. And so right. we don't have enough. Like, there are some people doing the research, but they're far and few between. Yeah. Right. But I would like to join the forces and be able to put out information. So when I say something, you can actually go look it up. You don't have to take right. it say right. as bond, you know. Um, <clears throat> then also just kind of staying on a ground level is connecting with the people. I think it helps the people to see someone who looks like them, mm-hmm. someone who understands their culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully the goal is to merge us too. Yeah. I love that. Now that's awesome. Yeah. And I, I love what you're saying about the not putting on a back burner because I think when we present cases or talk about cases, it's very much like these are the behaviors, these are the things they're going through, but we're not always talking about the person right. and their experiences and their life and their culture and how that impacts the decisions they make or right. the, the things they're going through. Because even working with couples a lot, I've noticed <clears throat> since my clientele has went 99.9% minorities, um, the way that they present their issues is completely different. Mm-hmm. And the issues that they present are completely different. And I'm always curious, and I don't, I guess, have a lot of white colleagues that I just chat with about my cases, but I'm always curious, like, how they would perceive that if this client or this couple had presented to them, what their view would be of it and how they would approach it differently mm-hmm. um, and maybe go a little bit too far and, like, pathologize it and right. things like that as opposed to, like, these are the experiences they've had. Culturally, these are the way things go sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so then how do we treat them based on that mm-hmm. and not based on what the majority is saying is normal? Exactly. Um, so I think that's awesome. That that is a priority. Like, let's put this first. Let's not wait and say these are the behaviors, these are the issues. Oh, but they have this going on. You know. Yeah. So how does that impact after we've already decided that this is how we should treat them? Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um. So as far as the disparities in health research, like, tell us about some of those. Like, what are the disparities, and where what where can we make a difference? I guess. So um, one thing about me, I like to call myself like a research junkie. I love to research. (laughs) You know, I'm a nerd at heart. I love to ask questions and find answers. And the focus of health disparities research is to identify why there are significant differences between major communities. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, one project we had, we're looking at obesity nutrition. And so typically when we discuss those things, we're like, well, the person's just not eating right. Mm -hmm. They're lazy. They're not working Mm -hmm. out. And actually from that study, I learned that there's far more that goes into obesity than what we really think about. Sure. So in that aspect of health disparities, um, we know that like African Americans and like Hispanic and Latino populations tend to be more obese. Mm -hmm. But is it because they're lazy? Mm -hmm. Is it because they're not eating right? Mm -hmm. And actually found like there's a little bit more to the story. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things we talked about was food deserts, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like what is available in their area? Mm -hmm. So um, most of the areas that we looked at that house these populations only have corner stores. Mm-hmm. So, you know, corner stores right. have a limited amount of yeah. inventory. Not, exactly. Yeah. So that's one thing. And another thing we saw was, um, are the neighborhoods safe for them to even walk around in, right? Because mm-hmm. there's no gyms in the area. Right, right, right. 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 So we'll just walk outside. Right. Yeah, just walk right. outside. Right. But is the neighborhood safe for them to walk yeah. in? Right. Most of them didn't have safe neighborhoods for them mm-hmm. to walk in. Mm-hmm. And if they were safe enough, do you have sidewalks? Mm-hmm. Right, right. So people don't have sidewalks. Mm-hmm. And so when you really look at it, and it's not creating excuses, because right. when I've discussed this with other people, they're like, well, those are excuses. And I'm like, no, we have to look at the circumstances right. before we make a judgment. Right. Because right? if we had all these things and we still didn't do it, then maybe right. we start talking about, you know, um, that they're lazy yeah, right. or lack of ambition, motivation, those type of things. But we don't even have the basic right. necessities right. to even engage in those type of activities. Right, right. You know, so like there's no sidewalks, there's no safe neighborhoods, there's no parks for the kids mm-hmm. to go and play. You can right. even take the kids and maybe play with them. Mm-hmm. There's no food in the area. So 
that is what's actually contributing more so to obesity sure. rather than the lack of physical activity and right. the poor nutrition. Right. So, and then that kind of goes into like policy. So, what can we do to ensure mm. that we can support people? Like, we need to have sidewalks in all neighborhoods. Sure. We need to maybe make sure we have a certain grocery store that has good nutritional right. products. Right, right, right. Because even there are some grocery stores, like in Houston, in certain areas, we know that the meat is great. Right, right. It's right. completely different. Um, <laughs> you know, the flies, they congregate mm-hmm. around the mm-hmm. produce. Mm-hmm. Um, so, even then, when there's a grocery store, we need to make sure that there's a certain quality that we right. don't fall beneath for any population. Right. And when we have those basic necessities, then we can start looking at, okay, now that we have these, how is how are those obesity yeah. rates now? Yeah. How are nutrition rates now? How do you stay hopeful? Like, <laughs> researching all that, I'm like, it just feels like so daunting and infuriating, right? And like, so how do you, like you're on the front line, so to speak, and seeing just how, I mean, like, it's like we know we're aware of it, but to really be studying it and how do you stay hopeful? That is a really good question. <laughs> um, do I have an answer? Because I know whenever I go to seminars, uh-huh. I'm just like, I'm so tired right. about the plight of black people mm. and how we're just suffering in every single category. I'm like, right. like where are we great? Like, where right. are we right. Right. You know? right. Um, But one thing I can say, maybe this answers your question, is that I'm actively doing something about it. Mm. Not yeah. of those, of, like, I'm just sitting on my hands giving this information. Like, I am in a position where I am able to ask these questions and mm-hmm. go into those neighborhoods and try to find the answers and come up with solutions. Right. Um, one thing I think with research that lacks is we have these answers and like who do we share it with? Right. Because it's only like an academic journal. Yes. And even with professionals, only yeah. people who have access to like right. university libraries or like hospitals, you know, they can get that. But exactly. if you're not willing to pay the fee for those journals, then you're not getting that information. Right. And so um I say hopeful by knowing I'm doing something, mm-hmm. but also that I have intentions on returning mm-hmm. with this information. Like, okay, now that we have this, what program that can we create right. to implement these findings? And yeah. then can we study that program to ensure that it's doing what it's meant to do? So there's a lot of steps, but I guess I'm just hopeful knowing that I have the tools mm-hmm. to make some change, and I have colleagues who are dedicated to the cause too, and with time I feel that we will be able to do this. Love it. Love it. Because I can understand how that can be discouraging, even what you said earlier about, like, people saying those excuses. Mm -hmm. I'm like, how is that an excuse? As a hurdle. Like, this is (laughs) an issue that we have to overcome. And yes, people do, and some people are able to do it, but if one group of people always has more hurdles than the other one, why are we surprised that one group of people is suffering more than others? And it's systemic because it's out of their control. Right. 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 We can't build parks. Those are things that are placed there Mm -hmm. by the city. Absolutely. Funding. Yeah. And so, like I said, it goes into policy and systems. Yeah. Why are certain areas getting less funding and support Mm -hmm. from the county, the city, the Mm -hmm. state, um, than other areas? Yeah. Right. Okay. So, how would you, how would that move into like mental health? Um, Obviously, we talk a lot about how um, black and Latinx communities either have less access to services or not, you know, um, seeking, ser- well, they're seeking services at a way higher right now, which is amazing. But, yeah. you know, just aren't seeking services, don't have access, don't even recognize that they need the help, you know, or whatever. So how do those health disparities impact mental health in, in minorities communities? So when you ask that, I kind of think about another project that I did for most of my graduate career, which was looking at stress and coping in young African-Americans. Mm-hmm. And so basically what we hypothesized was due to chronic stress, 
that can be from like financial mm -hmm. obstacles, educational obstacles, familial relations, or even like racialized stress, like in the community or what mm -hmm. we see on TV, mm -hmm. right? It slowly but surely breaks your body down. Mm -hmm. Because in our body, we have cortisol, which is like a natural chemical that's released whenever we're stressed out. Sure. But if you're constantly stressed out, right. you're constantly running. Right. And the thing about that is cortisol itself, if it's in our body for too long, it can break down our systems. Mm -hmm. And it also hurts our ability to self-soothe. Mm -hmm. And so when that happens, that's when, you know, substance abuse and self-medicating come into play. So to answer your question in like a roundabout way, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Is that um, I really feel that now there's a lot of self medicating that's happening, mm -hmm. and I think that's really prevalent in like pop culture, like in music, like people talk about it all the time, mm -hmm. um, or even on social media, mm -hmm. how people talk about the drug use that they engage in, mm -hmm. you know, to relax. Mm -hmm. But there's a little bit more to that story, and I think it's also even evident in the cases of like overdose rates mm -hmm. that are all time high now, you know, um, and so. I think there's still a stigma of mental health, and I think people think that only certain disorders right, and right, certain right. types of people mm -hmm. note treatments. Right. Yeah. Right? So that is some more chronic, like schizophrenia, a bipolar disease, and things like that, versus like you still need treatment for anxiety, you still right. need treatment for depression, but I don't think they know how to identify it yeah. mm -hmm. until it's more serious right. than it was before. Yeah. yeah. And so it kind of maybe downplay the symptoms like, oh, when I'm stressed out or I'm just trying to chill and I'm going to like smoke, for example, and they don't realize that these are the acute symptoms of like anxiety yeah. and depression. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. And so to kind of help people with that, I think even with the health disparities, we need more participation in our research. Yeah. That's all yeah. that we need. And so that's another, you know, yeah. issue, right? Because a lot of people say, well, I don't want to be a guinea pig. And you mm -hmm. saw what they did with Tuskegee. They mm -hmm. were in Tuskegee. Mm -hmm. And one thing, like, researchers want to highlight is when there have been a lot of ethical considerations put in place to protect populations. Right, right. And we have, like, the IRB. We didn't have the IRB before, which right. is the Institutional mm -hmm. Review Board. Mm -hmm. We didn't have that before mm -hmm. when all this was happening. Yeah, but yeah, now yeah. we do. Yeah. And so there's different things in place to kind of protect you. And I feel like it's important for them to come in because even though they're coming in, Sometimes we have like a really high second no-show rate, mm -hmm. so they'll come the first time, right. then they won't come after that. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that maybe because um, we just don't have all the tools or resources to assist them, or that's not widely available. Mm -hmm. And I think that if they participate in research, we can see how mental illness kind of presents itself in this population. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because we're still kind of going off of what we know it to be, and like you said, that's more the majority population versus minority population. Right, right, and right. so if they can kind of help us help them, I think that's one way we can kind of pull them back into mental health. Like, this is not just for you. You're helping us help you and the next Other person who yeah. comes right. after you. Right. 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 So more have more minorities actually participating in. And we talk about, well, I've talked about that a lot because on my other podcast, we talk about research and sex and relationships. Mm -hmm. And anytime we do a study, we'll talk about, okay, do you think there were any minorities within the study? Mm -hmm. Which most of the time it's not because it's college right. students right. at exactly. universities that can fund these studies. Mm -hmm. exactly. And typically the for the most part, a lot of the research is, like, white men, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that's important to kind of identify, like, how do how are researchers working to get more people, right. minorities, to even know about it? Right. You know, because um, if I'm in college and you offer me 50 bucks, I'd right. probably be like, yeah, I'll do it, you know? Yeah, but yeah. do I even know about it? Is that something right. that you go into universities that have a higher population of minorities to do the research and things like that? So I agree that we should encourage people to be a part, a part of the research so we can learn more and have the actual documentation mm -hmm. because that's really big. We can always tell people, like, 
well, this is what's best for you, or this is what you should be doing. It's like, well, how do you know? Well, we don't because we don't right. have the information. Right. So we, we know logically, we know what works, but it's hard to say, like, oh, here's the research that shows with minority men aged this and this, this helps them. Right. Because we just don't necessarily have the information. Well, right. and I think it's also getting our communities to also understand why it's important. Right. 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 Like how it benefits us in the long run and how it works against us. To not have that research out yeah. there available. Yeah, exactly. Because if we don't have the research, then it does impact policy. It does impact mm-hmm. you trying to make changes within the mental health or medical fields and things like that. If you don't have it, then people yeah. aren't necessarily going to listen to you. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, you just said addendo. Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't That's why I wonder how you say right. it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to be like, well, the problem is this. Right. 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 Really, I think um, on my side as a researcher and those before me, we really have begin to repair mm-hmm. the trust that we build yeah, in the community. Absolutely. And again, I'm that person who talks about that. You mm-hmm. know, in all the recruitment meetings, I'm like, we, we need to have some type of like town hall mm-hmm. or something to kind of address what has happened and mm-hmm. like apologize on behalf of our right. know, research ancestors, mm-hmm. uh, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. To kind of just like really try to drive the point home that we are here to assist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because even if, you know, we have the IRB and the ethical considerations and things. Some people are like, well, all skin folk ain't kin folk, right? right. Mm-hmm. So just because you look like me doesn't mean you're for me. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think we need to go to the communities and really like be there yeah. more often to really show mm-hmm. that we are dedicated. We're not just here to pull information from you and just go sit right. in our offices and mm-hmm. we don't come back. Because that's yeah. something that's happened before. You're changing the face of research. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. And that makes yeah. so much sense. That's because that... We always talk about the trust issue mm-hmm. with people in authority, right? right? So researchers, um, mental health professionals, medical professionals, cops, anybody that's like All of it. in authority, there's already that lack of trust right. there. And so trying and to figure out how to, right, and it makes sense. It, it, you have good reason to feel that way. Um, but how do we then show up to show them like this is not the same? Right. And I think what you're saying makes sense. You have to be there. You can't just decide like, hey, we're coming in to get this information and then we're out. Yeah. Um, you have to show them that like, no, we care about this. Right. care about this community. Yeah, and it needs to be a long-term commitment. Right. Because in the past, a lot of communities have tried to participate in research. And mm-hmm. what they've said is that they come in and they get what they need and they leave. Mm-hmm. They don't even come back and tell us what the findings are. Well, the results are, are right. You know, they don't even come back to, okay, with this information, this is what we plan to do. Mm-hmm. And so I think it has to be that full spectrum. So mm-hmm. you come in, you meet, you realign, you know, you get the information, but, like, keep them a part of that process. Right. Like, this yeah. is why we're choosing this design. Yeah. Like, really explain to them why you're making certain decisions so they feel really involved. And then when it's all said and done, like, have a presentation. Like, this is what we found. Mm-hmm. So these are the next steps. This is the program that we're going to do. Or these are the policies we're going to write. These are the policies we're going to And try to submit that into that with. community exactly. and not move it on to somebody else's community right. or something exactly. like that. Yeah. Well, it's right. just like everything else. It's a relationship. Yeah. Right? It's like you're right. building a relationship. Yeah. and. You have to nurture it and the trust and the follow-up, all of that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it's so much of, of building the trust is having that relationship. Oh, mm-hmm. right, right, right. So if there's students that are interested in working in this area and helping with uh, lowering health disparities and, and things like that, what, what can they do? How can they get involved? Um, graduate students, undergrad students, I think just to join professional organizations. Mm-hmm. I think that's what really was helpful to me. Mm. Um, Because of course you have your professors, so make it known to your professors who are in this research area. Just anyone, because you never know who knows anyone. Right. And that's one thing I've learned is that the psychology world is very small. Yeah. Um, So, you 
know, let it be known in your school that that's what you're interested in, but then also join these professional organizations. Like, people are always looking for students mm-hmm. to, like, help out or to nurture, to groom. There's so many fellowships and scholarships and workshops. You just have to get out there, and most of the time we don't know about it. So I think once you join a professional organization, you get on the listservs, the information just starts coming in, and that's really what I've done. Mm-hmm. You know, I just like, oh, I'm interested. How do I get on the listserv? And then that's where the opportunities come through. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah.
Thank you so much. Thank so you. good. I learned so much. Oh, yeah. I want to so get much. active. I want to cry. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do so something. Want to do something. <laughs> but I'm really sad right now. <laughs> right now. I'm through yeah. Yeah. Well, tell people how do they keep in touch, how do they follow you, if they want to work with you or anything like that, how do they do that? Okay. Um. So, I guess on Instagram would be the easiest way. My Instagram is just J-U-S-T underscore W-U, Wu, another underscore. That's the easiest way to get in touch with me. Or if you'd like to email me, um, my email is wunewane at gmail.com. And the spelling of my name is on the promo. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I'll make sure to put that in the um, in the show notes as well. At gmail.com, you said? Yes, ma'am. Okay. And then the name of where you practice is? I am a therapist at Hands of Healing. social media at Melanin and Mental Health, Melanin Health on Twitter. And tomorrow, tomorrow we are having a webinar for sex after betrayal. Yes. If you have not signed up for that, please do. We have about 24 hours for you to sign up and then we have to cut it off. Um, so go ahead and sign up for that webinar. You can do that at bit.ly. Link is in the Instagram bio. Check out the Facebook page. All of the information is there. It's gonna be good. Yes, it's gonna be really good. We have a pretty good number of people that signed up. Yeah,